you know, we felt compelled at that point to take to the streets and uh, and begin having rallies and protesting outside of their concerts. I think it is important to keep in mind the degree to which Brand Israel is integrated into our political life here in the United States. The Electronic Intifada. The Electronic Intifada. The Electronic Intifada. This is the Electronic Intifada podcast. I'm Nora Barrows-Friedman, and you're listening to the Electronic Intifada podcast. For months, human rights activists have held demonstrations outside the performance hall of the Philadelphia Orchestra, demanding it cancel its upcoming trip to Israel as part of its world tour. On May 19th, protesters disrupted the orchestra's performance inside the concert hall, while dozens of activists rallied outside. As the orchestra left for Europe and continued to reject demands to cancel the concerts in Israel, the protests followed it. Activists in Brussels, Belgium, interrupted the orchestra during a performance of a Brahms piano concerto on May 24th with chants of Free Free Palestine. 100 artists, scholars, and dozens of social justice organizations have called on the Philadelphia Orchestra to cancel the Israel trip due to begin the first week of June. Those protesting the tour have said that while the orchestra claims the trip is not a political mission, officials in Israel's consulate in New York confirm that the performance is meant to mark 70 years since Israel's founding and the, quote, unilateral declaration of Jerusalem as its capital, according to the Philadelphia Don't Orchestrate Apartheid campaign. Musicologist Philip Gentry wrote in the Philadelphia Inquirer that the trip is, quote, a right-wing fantasy tour of Israel, a glaring absence of women's voices, an artistic vacuum when it comes to contemporary music, all hiding behind a romantic notion of the sanctity of classical music. We're joined by novelist, poet, and activist Susan Ebelhawa from Philadelphia. Susan, thank you so much for being with us on the Electronic Intifada podcast. Hi, thanks, Nora. Thanks for having me. So let's begin by having you lay out the significance of these ongoing protests against the orchestra as they ignored two months of sustained calls by human rights activists and left their Israel itinerary on their world tour. So like you said, we started out um, just uh, giving them the benefit of the doubt, thinking that maybe they just don't know um, and perhaps, uh, you know, speaking to them privately. Um would be fruitful. So we went that route, um, but we did it in a way that was thoughtful and um, backed up with research and a lot of signatures, as you pointed out. Um, it was over 35 organizations and I think 120 individuals who um, signed it. And all of them were musicians, <clears throat> artists, um, writers, and, um, uh, uh, you know, activists, scholars, um, noteworthy personalities, and, and we thought, and, and a lot of them were uh, known personalities in the music world and known personalities in Philadelphia. But the, the first response we got from them was quite telling. It was a very short email that we found uh, very patronizing, um, dishonest, and uh, and also kind of microaggressive. We renewed our invitation or um, or offer to uh, speak with them, which they just ignored completely. So um, you know we felt compelled at that point to take to the streets and uh, and begin 
you know, having rallies and protesting outside of their concerts and informing their patrons what's happening and why we were there. And they, they continued to ignore us. Um, I think they really just kind of dismissed us, um, as power often does. They were getting over $2 million, it sounds like, from donors through the Jewish Federation. And um, this tour was completely coordinated with um, the Israeli government. They like to say they weren't, but based on their own press releases, based on photographs of them um, with the Israeli consulate vetting this, um, this whole tour, tweets from the Israeli consulate in New York, um, uh, and, and also the fact that you know, the Jewish Federation itself uh, is is kind of a domestic arm of Israel, and they make no secret of that either. So all of these things put together make it very clear what that they knew what they were doing. And um, but they continue to this day to vehemently deny that um, you know there was any such uh, collaboration, um, despite you know <laughs> all evidence um, to the contrary, um, and. Things escalated a bit when um, when we published an op-ed in the Philadelphia Inquirer, and it, the 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 op-ed initially was uh, um, was published online and was going to be printed in the Sunday paper, and we found out later through uh, a member, um, somebody who's on the mailing list of the ADL, <laughs> that there was actually a, a, an effort by the ADL and the Jewish Federation um, and other Zionist organizations to pressure the Philadelphia Inquirer not to print our op-ed. Um, that failed, but they did, uh, they did succeed in getting a, um, a counter, you know, quote-unquote balance, whatever. So, that, so they ran side-by-side side in the Philadelphia Inquirer. Um, and so it was an op-ed that I wrote and an op-ed that the ADL, um, uh, sorry, Naomi uh, Klein, I guess, uh, from, from the, uh, I think she's either Jewish Federation or ADL, I can't recall. So those were the two op-eds that ran side by side. And then the next day, there was an op-ed by the president of the orchestra. Um, and then uh, again, the day after that, there was another op-ed, uh, not an op-ed, but an editorial by, um, by the Inquirer staff, um, you know, basically completely demonizing us and extolling the virtues of Israel and the orchestra, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, they immediately went on the attack and I, but I think that it was, you know, having it in the public sphere like that and combined with our relentless, um, weekly rallies outside uh, of of their concerts started to um, escalated matters a bit, and the and they kind of got on the defensive. The um, the Inquirer was um, uh, also very good about you know just writing um, stories, reports on what's happening, and they gave our protest coverage, um, and that you know that also had an impact. Patrons were, um, uh, some were very hostile. Um, we, we were spat upon. We were, um, uh, we, some, at least I think three or four different people tried to, um, physically take the microphone from us. One, um, 
one man who said that he's a former IDF uh, person um, came, you know, was very kind of came at us very aggressively and snatched a poster out of my hand. Um, so there was some of that. And then, of course, people giving us the finger and, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, just cursing at us. Um, but there were also people who were very receptive and wanted to learn more. Um, there was one couple that came out and started chanting with us. Um, several people uh, walking in said, you know, we, we're with you. We completely agree with you. And um, and at least one family actually turned around and left um, and just, you know, I guess tossed their, their tickets because, um, you know, they said, you know, we had no idea and we will never support the orchestra again. Um, and actually that happened in France also. Apparently there were like several people who, who said that, um, and some who actually left and some who said they would have never gotten tickets had they known. Um, so, and then on the final day, um, before they were scheduled to leave, they, um, there was, uh, uh, our protest included, uh, a disruption inside the hall, um, a video of that was published and um, basically there were two uh, people who had tickets, they were paying patrons, um, uh, took a pre-recorded message inside and played it just before the concert started. Um, and it was, uh, and it was the voice, the uh, recording was amplified with speakers so everyone in the hall could, could hear it. Um, initially there were cheers, um, and then there were like heckling and somebody started the Eagles chant or something. Um, but what's interesting is that, so our person who was inside and recorded this, um, reported back that, um, uh, Yannick, the, the, uh, music, um, director and conductor put his hands over his ears like a child and started saying la 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 la, right? Um, the next day, that part was not reported in the newspaper, but it was report his like otherwise very petulant behavior on stage uh, of slamming his baton down and storming off stage. That was reported in the Inquirer. Um, but I had the Philadelphia Magazine, not the Inquirer, called me the next day and wanted to do an interview, and I gave them an interview, and I mentioned that bit of. Um, you know, the, him vocalizing la 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 with his hands over his ears. And the orchestra kind of, I guess, flipped out about that and, and said, that's an outrageous accusation, you know, basically calling me a liar. Well, the audio of him vocalizing la 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 was actually picked up in our video. The orchestra uh, vehemently denied that Yannick did that. Um, However, we provided Philadelphia Magazine with, um, you know, there was obviously the audio, and we gave them initially two eyewitness accounts, and then the, the, there was a third eyewitness who actually happened to be my daughter's high school teacher. She wasn't with us. We just, we didn't know she was going to be there. Um, my daughter was with us at the protest on Saturday, and she recognized her going in. I didn't see her because I guess I was somewhere else, but... You know, she's an uh, she's an older Quaker um, uh, teacher of uh, in in uh, religion studies at you know at a Quaker high school. 
who would have no reason to lie. And of course, she confirmed that he did, in fact, put his hands over his ears. So that behavior was confirmed. But nonetheless, the Philadelphia magazine insisted that they could not confirm. Um, and also, the other denial was that of, that that the orchestra wasn't working with the Israeli government or had not collaborated with them, etc. So, but Philadelphia magazine refused to you know, correct their correction. Yeah, let's let's talk about how the orchestra responded after that interview in Philadelphia magazine. Um, they said that that they wouldn't be touring an army base, but that, quote, musicians of the orchestra will give master classes to young students and members of the outstanding musicians of the IDF program. You know, essentially repeating this old trope that music or art in any form transcends politics and they're building right. bridges. Um, and at the same time, as, as you pointed out, the orchestra has been playing, you know, a, a very um, clumsy attempt at whack-a-mole, you know, <laughs> you know, trying to put out various public relations fires as criticisms flare around its relationship with, with the Israeli government or, you know, yeah. or the Israeli consulate and planned visits to, to military bases. Um, they also removed any reference to a meeting with Israel's uh, culture minister, Miri Regev, the one who famously called African migrants a cancer on the state of Israel, yeah. and then later apologized to cancer victims for comparing them to Africans. Uh, the activism group Adala New York tweeted the other day that instead of tinkering with their itinerary, maybe the orchestra should just cancel this trip. What's your response to these efforts to buck the cultural boycott call and, and, and really a, a PR mess that they have on their hands right now? Um, so it's like you said, I mean, their response was, was very clumsy, inconsistent, dishonest, um, and, uh, and, and obviously not well thought out. I think that they didn't realize, um, they didn't understand the depth of our pain. They didn't realize the, 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 you know, how implacable our resolve is. And I think it took them by surprise and, and it put them on the defensive. So they did, um, they also, in addition to removing Miri Rega from the itinerary, although that doesn't mean she actually was removed from the itinerary. They just took her, her name off of the, um, off of the website because there's just no defense for it. Like, how do you do that? Right. So they, they, after the Philadelphia Magazine um, interview was published, suddenly and quietly, the VIP tour of the v of the military base of the IDF base was removed from the itinerary, and the orchestra claiming that that's you know that they're doing no such thing is laughable. It's right there on the itinerary. The whole purpose, they're trying to say, well, the patron itinerary is different from the orchestra's itinerary, which is bollocks. You know, the, the whole, it, patrons are paying over $17,000 per, per person to take this trip. And part of the appeal is that they will be interacting with the orchestra throughout the trip. So when they go to an IDF base, members of the orchestra are free to go. So it's part of the orchestra's itinerary too. Um, and my understanding is that members of the orchestra are encouraged and expected to be at some of these dinners and, and, and things like that. So, um, uh, so that's, 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 they're just being completely dishonest about that. Um, and then to say, you know, 
I mean, and also what is, you know, what's the difference between performing with soldiers and, and then saying, oh, but they're young musicians of the IDF. Like it's trying to soften the fact that you're literally having a concert with murderers, people who are literally on, you know, surrounding Gaza and shooting at unarmed protesters. You try to soften it by saying young, you know, young soldiers or whatever. Like they're still soldiers. This is we're still this is we're saying the same thing, but just because you say it in a kinder, softer way doesn't change the fact that you are going to perform with a foreign military. You know, what kind of orchestra does that? What kind of orchestra goes and tours uh, a foreign military base? Like, really? It's just, there's, there's, there's no defense of it. It's completely morally indefensible. And the other argument they made um, at a different time was that, well, this concert has been planned, um, is being planned for two years. uh, And so the world was a different place two years ago. As so, they were trying to say basically that you know the 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 murders in Gaza weren't happening, and which is which is ridiculous because frankly the oppression and murder of Palestinians was ha- hasn't stopped in seventy years. Um, so they they just really uh, they have you know they they have there's no moral defense. Well, finally, Susan, your thoughts on the last two months of this campaign and how the movement is moving forward, you know, even if the orchestra indeed continues to ignore the picket line and, and play with the Israeli, Israeli military orchestra there. Well, um, well they did go. Uh, I mean, they're going. They're on their trip. Um, and I think the Israel leg of that starts um, in two or th- two days, two or three days. Um, they met with, uh, of course, as you said, um, protests, uh, um, a disruption in Brussels. There is uh, there are protests in Paris. Um, I don't know if our comrades in um, in Germany held protests or not. Um, but nonetheless, you know, they got the message, and people, um, I think, will think twice next time they go to Europe. <laughs> um, but we, you know, we are still talking about what how we're going to handle this when they get back, if they, you know, if they continue on their trip, um, to Israel and, um, uh, you know, we're, nothing's really off the table at this point, um, except the fact that we are going to continue a campaign in one way or another. Well, um, if people want to learn more about the don't orchestrate apartheid campaign, um, or Philly BDS, where can they go? Um, so we have, um, uh, Philly Don't Orchestrate Apartheid is, uh, uh, we created a presence on Facebook, just type Philly Don't Orchestrate Apartheid. We also have an email account, um, Philly Don't Orchestrate Apartheid at gmail.com. Um, in retrospect, we should have ju- just done PDOA at gmail. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, so I think Facebook is probably the easiest way to contact us. And I want to, I do want to point out that this was a broad coalition um, mostly of people of color. Um, it included um, Philly BDS. It included Workers World, um, the Black and Brown Workers Cooperative, um, Black Lives Matter, Philadelphia, um, the Friends of Mumia, um, Friends and Family, Concerned Friends and Family of Mumia Abu Jamal, uh, um, and just a lot of other organizations. And, and I 
I feel really proud um, to have worked with this group of people, also Food Not Bombs, several socialist organizations. Just, you know, because I feel like too often we all have our individual struggles and we focus on, on just that in isolation. It's kind of like treating a symptom without treating the underlying disease that's actually affecting us all. So this was a really proud moment for us working um, across uh, across the activist community, and um, and we we managed to get a lot of coverage in mainstream media, like you know, for the first time. So it was it was really great. Susan Ebelhawa, you're a novelist, poet, and activist, and you've contributed to the Electronic Intifada. Thank you so much for being with us on the Electronic Intifada podcast. Thank you, Nora. It was a pleasure. And stay tuned because in one moment we'll go to an interview with an activist in the Bay Area who talks about why he protested inside a recent event featuring former Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Barak. We'll be right back. Using chemical weapons is a war crime. And who's Barack is a war criminal. I'm Nora Barrows Friedman, and you're listening to the Electronic Intifada podcast. On May 16th, human rights activists in San Francisco protested an event with former Israeli Prime Minister and former Defense Minister Ehud Barak, who was in town to promote his new memoir. As activists demonstrated outside of the venue, others inside the event hall repeatedly stood up and loudly condemned Barak's involvement in ordering attacks against Palestinians, specifically during the attack on Gaza in 2008 to 2009, what is known as Operation Cast Lead. More than 1,400 Palestinians were killed in the assaults. As the protesters spoke back to Barak inside the hall, there was a spirited demonstration for more than two hours outside the Jewish Community Center, stated activists with the Palestine Action Network of the Bay Area. They added that a group of Bay Area Jews wrote to the Jewish Community Center before the talk, asking it to cancel Barak's event. Quote, as the Israeli military keeps on shooting unarmed protesters in Gaza, the least we can do is refuse to give Barak a stage, their letter said. Eighteen activists were arrested during the protest. The Electronic Intifada asked Wasim Haj of the Arab Resource and Organizing Center why he had participated in the protest inside the Barak event. Hi, so my name is uh, Wasim Haj. I'm a uh, member of the Arab Resource and Organizing Center here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, I got involved in this movement uh, sort of for um, personal reasons. I'm, I'm Arab, I'm Lebanese. I believe in Palestinian right to return, Palestinian liberation, the end of the occupation. Um, and I think that Palestinian liberation itself is um, grounded in a framework of broader international solidarity of liberation movements all around the world. Um, and that sort of is my, my reasoning for, for being a part of this, um, this greater movement. That's how I got involved, um, knowing people who had like-minded political views. And I think it's just a very natural thing to be involved in for me. Wasim, tell us about what happened uh, May 16th and why members of the community were there to protest it. Right. So um, Prime Minister, former Prime Minister Ehud Barak was um, 
in uh, the San Francisco Bay Area to uh, give a talk, give a lecture at the Jewish Community Center to promote his new book, um, which is the central thesis of which is that he is uh, somehow, or that the, the, the greatest threat to the continued existence of the state of Israel is, um, I think, the reactionary government of Benjamin Netanyahu. I think it's it's pretty easy to see past this and see him as just clearly trying to carve himself out political space uh, to the just millimeters left of, of Netanyahu. I, I consider them both war criminals, um, I think rightfully so. Um, and so, yeah, he. Ca- I, I think it's it, the irony is not lost on, on anyone, shouldn't be lost on anyone, that he came to promote his book, uh, lauding his, his sort of career as a, as a quote-unquote, you know, I'm scare-quoting here, peacemaker, um, literally, you know, several days after continued massacres in Gaza, where I think uh, one could say Ehud Barak has his, some of his longest military legacy um, in his... Uh, in his element as a as a war criminal and uh, someone who oversaw the murder of uh, fourteen hundred Gazans, including three hundred and forty four children, um, so I don't think it's it's uh, it, it's it's very natural for us to come out and to say loud and clear that this this person should not have a voice in the San Francisco Bay Area to deny um, a war criminal uh, a platform. Um, and we came together, uh, the Palestine Action Network, which is a broad-based coalition of organizations, including AROC, which I'm a member of myself, and Jewish Voices for Peace, um, JVP, who did a lot of the legwork in actually getting this protest going. Um, so there was a, a sort of an indoor uh, element to this and an outdoor element to this. The indoor element I was a member of, um, we uh, were uh, inside to ensure that um, that people here in the Bay Area, uh, media outlets, and um, our, you know, in solidarity with the people of Gaza, uh, that this person would not be a, not be given a platform to speak, not would be not be allowed a simple, easy platform, which with which with, which he was going to use to uh, promote a book, a book that he had written, um, and you know, attempting to put himself somehow on the right side of history at this this most horrible, horrific of times. You know, I don't think it should be lost on anyone. Just like, just it. There's a certain. Um, it's it's just it's a it's deplorable. So Wasim, there were two protests that happened uh, that that day, that evening uh, during Barack's event. Um, there was one that happened outside the the JCC in San Francisco, um, and then there was one that happened inside. And and you said you were a member of the one that happened inside. Eighteen people were arrested. Um, during this inside protest, can you tell us about what happened um, and how how this protest um, played out? Well, so um, fairly soon after we, uh, Mr. Barack, began speaking, we um, began uh, speaking up and uh, speaking our truth, speaking the truth of the people of Gaza, which is that they have been under consistent military siege by the Israeli armed forces. Um, uh, in Ehud Barak's legacy, uh, we indicated to the crowd that there were, in fact, 1,400 murdered, 344 children murdered, um, that Gaza is the largest open-air prison, effectively just uh, just giving our talking points. Um, at that point, um, the crowd was very riled up. Um, security was engage- engaged with us 
within like seconds. Um, I was among one of the first people to speak. Uh, so, um, several Zionist members of the crowd attempted to get at me. Um, one man was successful, um, struck me in the chest. There's a video of it. You can see it. Um, it wasn't anything like serious or, or, uh, by any, by any stretch, but, um, the police were, were pretty agitated by, by that, by that, um, strike. And, uh, so, you know, we can, I continue to speak up and then, um, at a certain point, uh, the police, uh, had us escorted out. Um, I was not arrested and no charges were filed against me, although charges were filed against um, many of our Jewish allies who were, who were participating in the disruption. Uh, it, I think on, almost everybody, um, there's only about four or five people who weren't arrested. And who they arrested, I feel, was, was pretty arbitrary. I think the only reason I wasn't was because I was... There's video of me being hit by somebody at the... At the um, at the protest, but, you know, um, I mean, it, it's just, it, it very clearly shows you sort of the, the mentality, right? When, when this, uh, when brand Israel's sort of fantasy land is shattered by like actual truth, that violence must be inflicted, right? There has to be some kind of like physical retribution. Um, and it, that was attempted. Luckily I had like really good seconds, um, who were like de-escalating the situation. Um, and those people, you know, did a really good job. And the situation was de-escalated pretty harmoniously by, by people on our end. Um, I cannot say the same for the, the people in the crowd. There was a lot of jeering, a lot of uh, terrible things said. But, yeah. So that's um, that's what happened as far as it goes when I was in. Um, shortly after I spoke up, um, several other members of... Um, our uh, our comrades on the inside uh, spoke up as well. Um, at that point, I was not inside. I couldn't um, I couldn't per se tell you how that went. Um, but we do have uh, a video, G- uh, Jewish Voice of Peace, as well as the Palestine Action Network have videos um, posted on their Facebook pages. If anyone wants to check those out. Um, and yeah, so you know, chance of free free Palestine as we left. Um, I went immediately to the outside. I was let go. Um, no arrests, no charges pressed for me and and my uh, the people I was um, speaking up with. And so we uh, we proceeded to join the the bigger contingency of our of our allies outside, which is a really really good turnout. Pan did such a good job getting people mobilized, getting people out there, especially considering how like off the beaten path the the JCC Center is. Um, you know, so we, we had protests, nice, great chants. Um, this one Zionist dude across the street, um, he had like an Israeli flag and was like screaming. And I don't know, maybe you might've heard about this, but he was like waving the flag and then proceeded to, to rush the crowd. Uh, he just ran like full sprint at the crowd with his flag. Um, and luckily we had really good security team who de-escalated the situation and escorted him away before he could do anything um, anything harmful to our community, any harmful to our community members. We had a lot of really good activists come out, a lot of really good people from other um, other communities out here. A lot of people from um, Gabriella Oakland um, came out. Um, I'm sorry if I miss any any others, but, you know, it was, it was a really great group of people. Um, at a certain point, you know, some people from the JCC came out and tried to take pictures of, of me, of other people. Um, I I don't think they got anything good. Um, that just, they had so many cops assembled outside. I don't know if you, if, there's some uh, Facebook videos people have posted. You can see, like, 
20, 30 police officers, officers posted outside. Um, even before anybody had spoken during the talk on the inside, there were probably a good like five to 10 police officers and that number just went up as uh, people begin to speak during uh, during the, the talk. Um, so yeah, that, that's a pretty good, I think, summary of all the things that happened, yeah. Wasim, can you talk about why activists are doing these kinds of protests um, following, you know, former Israeli prime ministers, former uh, Israeli officials, um, people who uh, speak on and work on behalf of Israel's state policies of apartheid and, and settler colonialism? Um, why you feel as an activist that, that these kinds of protests need to happen? I think it is important to keep in mind the degree to which Brand Israel is integrated into our political life here in the United States. Um, uh, this is why grassroots movements like BDS are, are really, really effective and why they've taken such a, um, a popular, uh, they have a lot of support, a lot of popular support is because they're engaging Brand Israel in a way that denies it its ability to to you know, issue propaganda to benefit from um, from American citizens who are inadvertently or advertently um, aiding the state of Israel in continued occupation, repression, and murder, and ethnic cleansing of Palestinians. So I think for us as activists, these, uh, these tools of speaking out are effective because you, you, you want to deny um, these, you want to deny these people the platform. You want to uh, ensure that your community is not serving as a base of, you know, in, in, in this talk's case, a profit motive, a profit margin for, for one of these individuals um, or, you know, the, the state of Israel in, in broader terms. Um, they're effective because you build a broad base of community support. Even locally, there's a huge Palestinian population um, and a greater diaspora Arab population here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, and I think when you put international pressure, uh, pressure that, that gains uh, sort of an international lens on it uh, to these people, I think that you can start developing, uh, you know, campaigns of, of civil disobedience around them. Um, and I think that it is important to remember that we're not doing the brunt of the work here. There are people in Gaza, in the West Bank, in Palestine 48, who are doing the work. Those are the, they're, they're taking the fight for their own liberation in their own hands. And we, I think, need to play whatever part we can in ensuring that that, uh, that, that, that those activities of liberation, those projects of liberation by the people of Palestine have as much international support in, in whatever ways we can. And so that, that, that's what it means to me. Thank you, Asim. Oh, thank you so much. That's it for the Electronic Intifada podcast. Thanks to Sharif Zakut, our music maker and production assistant. For news, information, cultural features and reviews and pointed opinion and analysis, visit us online at electronicintifada.net, where you can also post comments and sign up for our daily email digest. Follow us on Twitter at Intifada. Radio stations are free to use this podcast. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, support the Electronic Intifada by rating it and leaving a review. On behalf of all of us at the Electronic Intifada, thank you for listening. <laughs>